Hi everyone, it's episode two of series two and what an exciting prospect it is for all of us on the Off The Bridal team. Today we will be joined by a seriously famous English comedian, actor, presenter, writer, a man with more than six million Twitter follows. Our latest guest will be the massively talented and equally popular Mr. Jack Whitehall. Excited, guys? Very excited, yeah, very excited. And big fans of uh, the writer, actor, comedian, jack of all, well, no, master of all trades. The jack of all trades, what a pun, Tony, well done. Puns, puns like that, Tony, you could do some stand-up. <laughs> I am, yeah, big fan, big fan. I think he's very funny. Uh, I am a proper fan of um, A League of Their Own, very amusing. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to having a chat with him later. And, George, you actually know him, don't you? This won't be the first time you've spoken to Jack. No, certainly not. I've known Jack for a very long time. He went to school with my cousin and, and uh, as a result, I've become very good mates with him. Um, sadly, due to commitments, his busy commitments, uh, we don't get to ch a chance to spend as much time together as we'd like to. But uh, he, he loves his racing and um, he, he's beat, I dragged him into a syndicate back in my Warren Place days when I was assistant to Jane Cecil, uh, which no doubt we'll touch a, touch a little upon later. And uh, always get the standard Grand National, Cheltenham, and Royal Ascot. Are you there? Do you have any runners? And do you have any tips? And sadly, none of the above at the moment. So uh, does does he does he ask you? Does he? I, I mean, so many of my mates ask me if I've got a runner in the Grand National. Uh, no, <laughs> no, 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 I don't. My horses are not are not coordinated enough to get over a jump. Uh, they only run on the flat. Would he be one of those mates who just asked you whether you've got runner at Cheltenham or runner in the Grand National? Yeah, he would. He 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 wouldn't necessarily ask for tips or anything, but he'd see if I was there because he 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 has kind of um, he's shown his interest for the sport, and that, therefore he gets invited by corporate things a lot to the big the big race meetings. So he's often there. He was at he was at Cheltenham this year, and uh, I, I ran into Jamie Jamie Osborne and their owners and trainers, and Jamie that accosted him for a video. So he, he thought he was quite a character. And your career since you grew up have sort of taken a similar trajectory as well. <laughs> he couldn't resist. I'll, you couldn't resist that, could you? Two two rising stars, exactly. We both started at the same point. We we both started. Uh, up, he 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 came to my first point to point, which I managed to fall off in. <laughs> and I, I would have driven him with Fred, my cousin, to one of his first gigs in Chester to about 30, 30 people. So, yeah, I, I'd, I'd like to see one of those graphs which we're seeing every day and, and with our careers posted on it. <laughs> I'm sure that can be arranged, but that, that's enough of us. A lot of people, I'm sure, are hoping to hear from Jack, who's now joined us. What's happened to your head? I know. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, this is an audio rather than a video. Oh, my God. It's awful. It, yeah, you all have words with him about this. Yeah, I just, I can't even get my head around it. I don't know what you thought you were doing. Worst turned out, George Scott. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what's news? Well, you, you must be, it's a bit of a culture shock for you, considering you've been all over the, all over the place normally. What have you been up to? Making food. Yeah, making food. The f to be honest, the first couple of weeks, I wasn't doing much. And then people have found a way to start filming things from home and, and doing, doing stuff. So n now I've found a little bit more of a rhythm and a 
you know, been do- I did this sketch this week for Comic Relief, and then I think I'm going to do a show for the BBC over the next couple of weeks and film it in my living room, which is kind of crazy, but everyone's adapting to the situation. Yeah, of course. It's, um, it's just a very strange time, especially for someone like you who's uh, you're all, all, all around the world. And- well, one of the, th- one of the things that, pe- that, that I've seen quite a few comedians doing, and, you know, you know God help them, because it's so, as a comedian, you've, you've, all of your work is gone and you can't do anything. And so people are having to do gigs from home which is so hard and it just reminds me how much you need laughter when you're doing a joke because telling a joke and there being no reaction is the worst thing in the world. Jack, where are, where are you, Jack? I'm in, I'm in Notting Hill. The last time I saw you there was probably a, a year ago when you did the, you do your, your amazing Christmas dinner and you cook in your boxer shorts yeah. and do the sing song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that was with my friend Marcus and we've now, who we've, I've started this kind of food blog with, like, all this terrible food that we're eating during isolation. Did that just come from Marcus's chicken sandwich competition? Yeah, well, it also just came from me, him and my brother just cooking like filthy meals and then me wanting to document the meals that will mean that I leave this um, lockdown like, you know, 20 stone heavier than I started it. <laughs> we, were just, we were just reminiscing because Tony um, there worked work with us at Warren Place. It's the, the, the syndicate, the syndicate mission that you, you came on. Yes. Oh, yes. You came, you came to Warren Place to see your horse and you asked if you could sit on it, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> Did it have an abscess on its foot that day or was it like... Funnily enough, I was just telling the guys there that one day I had you coming racing when I thought the horse had a chance, it had a bloody abscess. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. What was it called? Eat, sleep, race, repeat. Eat, sleep, race, repeat, Yeah. But at least we got our night in De Niro. In De Niro. So again, we were going through the De Niro's night. You're one of your favourite places. That's why I really got into horse ownership. Was so that I could have a night out at De Niro's in Newmarket. I've got to say, I, I miss De Niro's a huge amount. You had some great nights in De Niro's. What's it been replaced by? Is there a De Niro's re- replacement? Nothing. It's awful. There's no nightlife. That's always one of my favourite things, is like that when you're doing a stand-up tour, the, the comedy cheat codes for every city you go to are find out where's the biggest dump, like the area that everyone like takes the piss out of and throw them under the bus. And that always gets a massive reaction. And then the other one is always find the dodgy nightclub and make as many references to the dodgy nightclub as you can. And every city and town has one. And the, the minute you mention it, like the whole audience is in hysterics. Zero's if you were doing a gig at Newmarket, your comedy cheat codes. I was wondering, Jack, can you imagine coming back to racehorse ownership anytime soon or has the uh, eat sleep experience put you off for life? No, you know what? I definitely think I could. And I, even though I, it probably wasn't the, the kind of the most rewarding experience on... You <laughs> see the thrill and excitement of it and being more invested in in race days and, and following your horse, like even though it never ran, it was kind of exciting. <laughs> no, it did. It did run a couple of times. You'll find it funny. Do you remember we had that Philly pudding? Pudding, yeah, yeah. You know, I've got Pudding's baby here. Really? <laughs> yeah, it's its first, first what we call two-year-old. So it, it's, um, it's bringing back all those horrible memories. Someone told me your shape bought Pudding. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard so many rumours about pudding. Pudding has this like 
this, this fantasy existence now. Whenever I meet anyone in racing, they're always like, oh, do you hear what happened to Pudding? And then I didn't get to name that one. I think, as you can guess, I got to name Eat, Sleep, Race, Repeat. And Pudding was named by, I think, some other members of the syndicate. Did either of them win a race? No. 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 No one there. <laughs> and your first your first interest in racing was coming to watch me point to point when we picked you up off the side of the road that time oh my god yeah that was like that was my first experience of live racing and i bet, I bet on a horse that drowned it ran <laughs> and then it ended up in the no, that was a different one that was an item point to point when it when it ran out of the fence and ran straight into the river and you backed it i backed a horse that drowned now that is that's what i'm doing that's when you start to think i may be cursed um i will always remember that i was like what happened to my horse and you went and it drowned i was like that's not a thing it's definitely not a thing in racing it can fall it can be seated it's like rider but it can't drown there's no water it found some water. That's about the only track, yeah. And what's the what's the big thing with you when it comes to horses? Is it actually the social, or is it having a bet, or is it a bit of going along with your mates, or, or is it the whole shooting match when you go to Cheltenham or Ascot? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a bit of everything. It sort of changed. I, I'm like, I like, I love going just for the kind of spectacle of it, and I think it's such an incredible event. Just the sheer amount of people that you get at one of those meets compared to any other sporting event, it is. The scale of it is incredible, and you know, being there and watching them come down towards you, and the sound of it, um, and the the crowd going wild. It's like I, I really, really appreciate it as a kind of sporting spectacle, and as as real. I mean, I go to all sports, and I love all sports, and you know, something like Cheltenham takes some beating as a as, a, as an event, um, and I like yeah, I like a little bit of betting, but not like that's not the main thing for me. And obviously, like knowing people like George and having met other people in the racing world I think that only kind of brings you into it even more the more like understanding you have and the more kind of characters you know as well it helps you paint the picture and start to kind of build like narratives and and know it so you know, I, I I really uh, enjoy it and uh, my brother enjoys it as well and Barney loves it but that really helps as well then it becomes you know like a communal thing well funnily enough we we were sponsored by Fitstairs who Barney worked because Barney worked for Fitstairs still yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's a bit. It's a good, good connection. Is he? Is he? Is he living with you at the moment? Yeah, yeah. And we went. We went to Cheltenham together for his birthday because it was on his birthday this year. So we went down there. I got mugged off by some trainer. He used to be a jockey. Yeah, it's Jamie Osborne. Yeah, Jamie. <laughs> oh my god. He's a lot chat. He literally came in. I was like, what? <laughs> this guy is a hundred miles per hour, just like the band. <laughs> Jack, we were talking a couple of moments ago about how there's a massive sports-shaped gap in our lives at the moment. Are you, and you mentioned you're a sports uh, follower fan. How are you finding the lack of sport in, in your life full stop? No Arsenal, no, no anything at the minute. It's tough, isn't it? Really hard, and it makes you realise how much you miss it and how important a part of your life it is. I'm actually, that is one of the, this show that I'm trying to get over the line at the moment, it's not kind of confirmed yet, is a show where I would be taking the nation through like, all of our greatest sporting moments to try and uh, create a show that will help fill a little bit of the gap um, that there will be this summer now that everything is gone. So we were interested in trying to work out like what show would be the best public service. And we landed at doing something that was literally just taking the nation through all of our greatest sporting moments and then an interesting theme and narrative through them because it's just like, it's barren and it's so, I mean, I spend so much time like watching, you know, like old football matches now from like the 90s on Sky Sports. I'm like, that's how 
um, desperate I've become uh, without any sport to watch. Because you're a massive, massive Arsenal fan, aren't you? You know, you live for it. I live for it, yeah. I mean, it's been a, a labour of love the past couple of years, but that, yeah, that is my team. Yeah, as I say, like, I, I watch all sport and I can watch, I'll, I'll watch anything. And so to have nothing <laughs> feels really weird because there's always something on. I mean, there's always... They're playing the snooker classics on BBC at the moment. Have you watched any of those? Yeah, well, that's the problem, isn't it? When like those ones where, and they did it with uh, an Ashes as well. And I think they showed one of those games of Rooney, when Rooney was at the Euros, when he kind of first broke through. Watching the whole game is quite... <laughs> quite intense. <laughs> like, yeah, you realise why, like a highlights package and a bit of music. And <laughs> maybe a better way to relive some of these things. Like re-watching an entire, the entirety of a test match is kind of quite committed. And would you have played soccer? You love that soccer, eh, don't you? Would you have played that this year? Were you on the team? Every year I've signed up to do it. And the last couple of years I've had to pull out, which has been a real shame. But uh, I would have done that if I'd, I'd been able to, because it's so much fun, the chance to pretend you're a professional sportsman for an afternoon. And what else has been helping you through, aside from watching Arsenal in the 1990s, what else has been helping you through uh, lockdown just to fill the time? What's your isolation tips, Jack? Um, well, you know, I found it's good for like focusing the mind and like getting back to a load of projects that I hadn't, you know, I'd put on the back burner and, you know, I do a lot of writing. So it's been quite good to have no excuse to not, um, return to some of those, um, writing projects and really get involved in those. Uh, but at the same time, you feel even more guilty when you're not doing them because you're like, it's either that or a couple of episodes have come by with me. I really have no excuse not to be, uh, going back. So my advice would be, Write the book. Write the book. Write the book. And, and I was thinking before um, you came on, I was thinking, I always thought jump jockey was the hardest occupation out there, aside from obviously NHS frontline as, as things stand. But aside from that, I was thinking jump jockey. And then I thought, actually, stand up comedian. That must be one seriously tough gig confronted by a room of people. And as you say, you need the laughs to sustain it. How, how do you sort of uh, describe the life of stand up comedian? Uh, you have to have a your brain has to be wired in a certain way. Um, and you know, you, you say it's, you know, scary, but to me, it just does, it feels like such kind of muscle memory and it feels so like normal to me that, yeah, I would definitely say jump jockey is a scarier than a comedian from my perspective, but it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, it is a quite lonely as well because you're, you're off there and you're doing it just on your own and you're traveling from city to city and, and, and gig to gig. I, I, I love doing it, but it's not something that I can do like all the time. I have to take breaks from it because... Pearl, do you remember that? I was saying to the boys, do you remember that time when we went to Chester University and you took the speaker at the car from Harnage? And you literally did like, we did the gig, you did a gig to like 30 people on the way up and then went to Manchester to Pout. Yeah, oh my God, yeah. Yeah, those ones, actually maybe I take it back about it being um, easier than jump jockey. Like the, those gigs where you've got to perform for 30 people are really quite grim. <laughs> and, it's, and, it, and also, you know, when I see you, when you come to Cambridge and things and you're in that hotel, you've just done your gig and you come back and, you know, you're travelling from place to place. It's, it's, it's quite lonely, isn't it, for you? And, you know, sometimes when you are going from gig to gig and how do you adapt with, with those big highs? Do you, do you find it easy to just go back to the hotel and chill out? Or do you... No, it's impossible. It's like after you come off stage to like then go to bed, just, you can't do it because there's so much adrenaline causing through your veins. It's so hard to not have a couple in the bar afterwards because, <laughs> yeah. you know, you've, uh, you've had a really like exhilarating experience and it's very hard to come down from. So invariably you end up in a 
Hotel de Vin. Um, Hotel de Vin. Drinking like Alan Brazil on a weekday morning. <laughs> He's giving it a lot of Alan at home at the moment. Oh my God, lockdown Brazil. Have you been on TalkSport with him? I have been on TalkSport with him. Me and my brother are obsessed with him and Ray Parler on social Ray Parler, what Ray does he call it? Um, one man party. His one man party is drinking pink tequila at home. It's just incredible. <laughs> <laughs> and he do, he's doing the thing at the moment where he does it. He's trying to fill a glass of beer up off his foot. <laughs> he's crazy. His gym routine must be just, he must be in the gym for like 10 hours. You must know Ray though, do you, Jack? Is he funny? Oh, it's a legend, yeah. Absolute legend. Like, he was one of my favourite players as well, the Romford Pella. <laughs> I love the way he played the game. Me too. Jack, you've been so kind, mate. Thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. And can we just sign off with, with asking, uh, what, what does the weekend hold for you? What, what, what are you up to over the weekend, Jack? Much on? I'm going to probably buy George Scott a hat and send it over to him. <laughs> and I'll probably be drinking quite a lot of dash water as well. <laughs> There's a new flavour. I'm going to have a dash peach party. You'll have... <laughs> well, you've helped the Scott brothers out doubly there, so thanks, cuz. And we'll, we'll see you very soon. Great to speak to you all. Okay, so that was Jack Whitehall. Wasn't that fun? Charlie, did you enjoy that? Yeah, it's great. I'm really appreciative to Jack for joining us. Uh, and taking time out. I know everyone is slightly on the slowdown at the moment, but I'm sure he's flat out. Uh, writing new material and and um, getting plans ready for um, for when we get out. So great! Thanks very much for coming on. And George, we didn't actually tell Jack about your comedy turn drinking that blooming egg the other day. Will you tell everyone what that's all about? Doing the rounds in racing. Yeah, I got on the, one of the first waves of that egg drinking thing, which um, has subsequently gone viral, hasn't it? There's some fantastic characters um, that have been got involved to support. Them. Um, the do it, do it for Dan, um, who, uh, thank God, has raised the amount of money that was necessary for his charity. But uh, involves um, racing personalities um, drinking a raw egg as a sort of, which was a recognition for the hardship that a lot of people are going through at the moment, and, and a good opportunity for people to uh, sponsor some amazing causes. Isn't it? Isn't it amazing how I, my, my wife is utterly baffled by this. She's like, yours is the only industry that does this sort of thing and does it like almost religiously like you have to do it. And you look at the racing, the, the people who have done it and who have been, I mean, when Aiden does it, well, you're all stuffed. You've got to do it, don't you? Because, you know, if Aiden's going to stick his hand up and down one, anyone who then refuses to do it looks like an idiot, don't they? So Aiden, Sir Mark. I mean, Nicky Henderson, the list goes on and on and on. Of all the you know, main characters in racing have done it. I can't think of anyone, really, who hasn't done it. Um, and, yeah, it, racing has this unbelievable capability of getting together. And when they find a cause that they really feel something about, it's, it's remarkable. And if only we could do it more often with actual bloody horse racing, um, we'd be in a much stronger position. You are right. And, and there's a lot of discussion at the moment, isn't there, in the various camps about uh, sort of racing and when it's likely to return and what the future looks like in terms of how many uh, horses are permitted to run in each, each race and will there be designated race hubs, race centres. Um, what, what's your latest that you can give us, chaps, on where we might be with a return and what does it look like? I think, um, personally, I feel quite positive. I think that... 
Uh, we are, we, what, what we can't get away from is, at the end of the day, the buck stops with the government. So we are in their hands. And, and, I, and, I, and I suppose when I say that I feel positive, I'm not really referring to that situation. What I'm referring to is that if we get a green light and if we are told that you can give it, you know, we, you can go and race, I feel like the, everything is in place. I feel like the right people are doing a very good job the murmurs that you're getting, the little drips of information that we're getting are that they are very much plans are in place so that if we are allowed to start racing, we will be able to start racing as soon as possible. Um, obviously, that is a big capital I, capital F. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. At the moment, what is the possibility, and this is best case scenario, is that, that we're going to start racing in May. And from May until June and middle of Royal, to Royal Ascot, there is a very big and growing possibility that we're going to get a month's concentrated, high-class racing action because they're going to try and save as many stakes races and as many prep races as they possibly can. And they'll all be put in to sort of act as prep races for the Guineas, for Royal Ascot and for the Derby. And what we could actually find is that there may be no sport going on elsewhere and we've got some really really high quality exciting racing going on that could could attract a new audience and provide some entertainment in what has been a really tough and painful period for uh, for the world and what we've got to just make sure is that we make sure that we put on the best performance we can we show people that yes we want to race we want to get on with business but we're doing it in a manner that is um, thoughtful and responsible uh, and takes into consideration uh, what's going on in the wider world. And if we can do that, we have a really, really, really big chance of gaining a new and um, potentially fresh fan base. And that, for me, is really exciting. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more with you. It's a funny. It's a funny period of time for everyone in their individual circumstances. Because one day you feel all positive on top of the world, and then the, the next day brings a new, fresh wave of news, and you become a little more negative again. But there's no getting away from the fact that um, we feel as an industry that we could, uh, once the government permits, and again. This is something that has frustrated me on social media, that people seem to think that racing are trying to jump the gun in some format. They're trying to write their own rules, but we're not at all. There is no harm, and actually everyone in sport has been encouraged by the sports minister individually to get their houses in line and to, and to uh, produce a plan whereby racing, in this case, could take place in the most controlled environment. And as a result, you know, I think some, it's, there's been a slight grey area where we've come under um, a little bit of pressure as trying to rush, which is, couldn't be further away from the point. But um, it's a fantastic opportunity for us to, um, to get back racing. As Charlie said, not only will there be those high-class high races, there'll be lots of maidens and the two-year-old racing. And it, it, it's, it could be a fantastic opportunity for us. Well, that's the politics, if you like, discussed of what may or may not be happening. Let's get back to the actual sport, the horses. They're what engage us. And we've talked about a high class potential programme and lots of nice maidens and novice races. Have we got horses to run in such races or have we got horses in either Eve Lodge or Bedford House that we're excited about? I'll start with you, Charlie. I've uh, been pretty open about the fact that I think I have got a a, a very nice bunch of three-year-olds. I think they are a, a pretty good crop and there's a lot of strength and depth there. 
Um, so I'm, yeah, I am. I'm excited. Whether there's a whether there's a proper horse in there, that's still to be seen. But I think there's lots of potential. And at that st- at this stage of the season, that's all you're looking for because you want that horse. Those horses that are gonna, yeah, gonna get you up in the morning and really yeah, get the blood pumping every time you watch them go up the hill. And I think I could pick out several that could easily make their mark. And we'll pick a couple out for us. Okay, so of the three-year-olds, a, ho- a horse that. He's he's one of the more obvious types, and he's he's almost a horse that I didn't have a huge amount of faith in last year, uh, and he ended up winning a listed race, and he's called King Carney, and he's just absolutely every single day seems to be getting better and better and better, and and I'm actually getting more and more faith in him uh, as the days go by, and I love him. He's he's just one of those really great front running, honest types uh, who just loves racing. So him, nice horse called Boma Green, owned by the same people by the Roys. Uh, came to me from Jeremy Nazida, ran a lovely maiden at York, finishing third. Uh, Bags of Potential has been working with King Ottica, which is not a bad um, sort of recommendation. And he's been, you know, showing up. He'd have more speed than King Ottica. He's more of a seven furlong type, but he could be one that would would uh, hopefully go close in a maiden early on. And oh, he's a maiden, yeah. Yeah, he's a maiden, something like a jersey or something like that, if he was good enough. And then there'd be a few, a few others. Lady Bamford's actually got a very nice Glen Eagles filly with me that's unraced called Immortal Beloved, who's been working well. Any two-year-olds? Two-year-olds. My two-year-olds are... I haven't galloped anything. I've... Well, that's actually not entirely true. I have. I've, I've given one a blow up the lime kiln. It's just a little um, brazen bow filly. She's not small. She's got scope, but she looks like she's quick. Uh, but there's a few mid-season types that I really like. I've got a Knight of Thunder that I bought, Prince of Aaron's owners, that's going nicely. I remember when you bought him. Yeah, big big chestnut horse. He's got better and better, and he's a, he's a lovely horse. Um, a New Bay that's showing up nicely. A Lawman of, of High Clears that I like. So yeah, I think they're I think they're they're nice, but they're not um, they're not going to be forward forward. They'll be sort of June July types probably. George, how can you uh, respond to that? It sounds like uh, the riches galore at Bedford House. Is it a similar story at Eve Lodge? Are you pleased with how horses are progressing this spring? Yeah, yeah, no, very much so. Delighted with the horses. Um, it's been a really kind of a t- tricky time for trainers to work out what level of condition to put into these horses. Um, but I think what, 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 what I've tried to do is, is have them at a level um, where they could basically run in two weeks' time. You know, So if a programme came out, I'd say I could run 20 horses in two weeks' time um, or 25 horses in two weeks' time. So, you know, we've done lots of work in hand, nothing serious, haven't asked any questions. How's my, how's my favourite horse? How's my filly, Mole Davis? I love this filly. How's she going? Yeah, no, she's going great. Yeah, she actually worked this morning. She's Because, as you said, as you mentioned about these, these stakes races and things like that, she'd be one for those types of races. So she's kind of... Got to be on the ball. She's done great. I was put some pictures up of her going up Long Hill. She's done well. But again, like this year, you know, we're, we're really excited about two-year-olds. You know, got some really nice two-year-olds this year and especially horses for next year. But we've got nearly 40 two-year-olds, which is, uh, which is good. And there's a very, very, very quick bungle in the jungle filly who keeps knocking my older sprinters out of the park. Uh, I, I heard, I've heard about this little bungle in the jungle because I've got a mole, a mole who told me that she'd uh, that she worked it and said it was quite quick. Oh yeah, Haley Rona. Yeah, said it was absolutely green as grass going to the start, and she was like, "What on earth have they put me on?" Got it on the gallop, and the thing was as professional as you could, and just shot past. Said it was very sharp. 
yeah, she was saying that because <laughs> I said, look, I've got something you better come and have a sit on. And she said, she said, what the hell is this? I'm going to have to break it in. Because she going down, she said, I thought I had to break it in. But anyway, she worked. It's all in hand, but she she put to bed um, Jack the Truth and Strong Power, who are pretty decent workhorses. So, but she's not the biggest, and you just wonder what she's going to have to take on because she'd have won by now. And uh, and I don't like saying my horses would have won by now, but I think enough people have sort of. But uh, hopefully, she'll be have enough quality to take it into the second half of the year. Charlie, can I ask, you mentioned two horses that a lot of people will be interested in. One, obviously, is King Ottica, who who we thought a lot of last spring, especially, and a horse you've always loved. And also, King Carney, um, listed winner. Where, where are they, what sort of levels are they likely to start at? I know it's hard to pinpoint specific races right now, but where are they in your mind's eye, trip-wise and class-wise? Well, the plan, the original plan, had been to go to the Epsom Derby trial with King Carney because um, it's a win and you're in for the Derby, which he's not. he wasn't in. Um, and if he wins that, then fantastic, we'll go for the derby. If he doesn't win it, well, he's not good enough to run in a derby. So it would have been very simple, and he'd have a he'd have a flip round there, round the hill. He's a very well balanced horse, likes to front run, um, and I think it would have really suited him. Obviously, we don't know if that is going to be saved. They're rearranging a lot of races. I'd say that there's a good chance that that race may be saved. Um, I know that the priority. Well, I, I, from what I can tell the priorities of the stakes races that they want to keep are the ones that are a traditional trial races for bigger races. Will that have to move tracks? I don't know. I don't know. Cause obviously Epsom could easily be, but they, they might, they could run it around Lingfield. That'd be perfect. Yeah. yeah that might be a plan with him. Um, and then King Ottica with the plan had been started in France probably and go for a, a race over there. Um, we've been told we're not allowed to race in France, Germany, or we're not going to be racing abroad until at least early June. So I don't know I, if they they might try and save something like the um, Brigadier Gerard or the or, or one of those um, Sandown um, ten furlong races, and you'd have to take on something of Stout and something of Gosden. And so, but I think the ten furlong divisions probably because we're going to have the likes of Hedman who beat us at Ascot. Sorry, Hedman is um, Rogers' horse. Hedman who we actually beat at Newbury, but then went on and. Um, probably improved significantly after that. Um, Sangarius of Stouts, who beat us at Ascot, the second in that race of Andrew Baldings. I think it's Fox Chairman. Um, uh, so I think put those four together, they're probably four pr- probably pretty decent 10 furlong horses who are going to be running against each other a fair bit this year. Yeah, I wouldn't be go- running scared of them at the moment, but I might be. we might be putting our pace. That's the horses. Must just ask about home life. Uh, how's, uh, you know, was he six weeks, nearly seven weeks old, young Jack? How's it going? Sleepless nights? Six, six weeks old. Six weeks old and the little th- still doesn't sleep any better. Mate, it's six weeks. You've only just started. It takes six months. Oh. Jemima <laughs> just started sleeping through the nights like a month ago, so it took five months for her to sleep through the night. So hold on, hold on. Whoa, 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 whoa. So she sleeps from when until when? She sleeps from seven until seven without fail, unless she's ill or something. Oh, my God. That sounds like heaven. Last night, I... So I normally, what I do, I, I, I work from, from six o'clock in the morning until midday, I am at work. And then in the afternoon, I try and get everything done so that I can then be around and cook lunch and do dinner and go to the supermarket if I need to go to the supermarket and help out a little bit. And then I do the last feed at night. So Vicky can go to bed, get a little bit of sleep. And then she does the horrible three o'clock in the morning one, two o'clock in the morning one. And I do the feed about 10 o'clock 
any time between 10 and 11.30 or so. Anyway, he slept last night until 11.30. So not only was we already late, he then, I thought we'd nailed it. He did everything right, ate great, pooped, which is always a key, burped, which is really good. And I thought, bingo, you're going to go straight down. It's going to be a record-breaking feed. I'll be asleep by 12.15. The little eyes at about 12.15 were wide open, wide awake. And I, he just looked at me and was like, I am not going to sleep anytime soon. So from then until 1.30 in the morning, I could not get him to settle. Every time I put him down, he started crying or getting grisly. And yeah, so it's tough. It's really, really, really tough. But um, we are loving it. He is great. I am absolutely adoring it. And being able to spend time with him has been great. And, you know, if, if we'd been racing and life had been normal, I'd be spending nowhere near as much time with him as I am at the moment. So that is, that is really nice. And you'd be getting, you'd be getting for a bit of abuse from Mrs. Fellows, quite rightly, if you're not being around. Oh. Would you be getting it? We're all actually, funnily enough, there's a few of us in the same boat because Palmer's got his baby, and then uh, Mark McStay and Charlie and I, and then there's Angus Gold. So all of us are probably um, able to spend some more time at home, which is nice. Or so it's been nice up until this point. I wouldn't mind a bit of racing now. <laughs> a lot of racing, actually, every day. Yeah. yeah. Same as Charlie, I do similar things. You know, I'm uh, uh, trying to spend some more time at home in the afternoons, but doing a lot of housework and a lot of cooking uh but uh, it's been nice how is your cooking are you any good i am uh, absolutely fine yeah i can cook tip away yeah considering you want to be a chef you can't even crack an egg into a mug is it? what would be no, no i dropped the shell into what would be your speciality oh i like to do a good roast roast chicken or barbecue stuff or pa- i'm good at pastas i'm actually i'm actually quite a good i think it's cooking's a bit of a myth isn't it it's, it's not that hard you just it's you're having the time to do it <laughs> I mean, that's my idea anyway oh dear oh no it's all it's it's anyway and look we we were all being positive you know and we, we've again like we still I, I know I speak for charlie and we're blessed to be able to do what we do come out in the morning see the horses train okay you can't race them but what a, what a, how fortunate are we the staff have been great the staff are healthy they've been helpful they've been kind and uh, you know it's, a, it's just a it's a crazy time i just thought very quickly before we call it a day because everyone's probably quite bored by this episode already um but uh we should probably just we've talked about the horses we should probably just give very very brief update on how george scott and charlie fellows are doing uh george scott has been gelded he's come through it well he actually had his first canter this morning uh which is good and we'll pick up his exercise over the next uh, month and hopefully get him back in full flow by the end of the month. And I think Geldingham will do in the world again because he should have been named Charlie Fellows. We've named these the wrong way around because my one is fat as butter, puts on weight on fresh air. Uh, and your fellows lean as anything. Uh, we've definitely named them the wrong way around. But anyway, um, so yeah, George, George Scott, is, um, he's fine. Absolutely fine. Well, your namesake's also doing good. We, we, we cut him, as you know, we, we gelded him. And uh, that seems to have helped him. I, I, as it's widely reported, I wasn't particularly pleased with his, his coach, his condition through the breaking process, but he's really turned the corner. He looks good and he, he, you know, he's cantering away. So, yeah, really, really positive. And I hope he'll be ready to run in the early part of the summer. And, and George, we, we did sell a 
bucket load of shares at the back end of last year when they were released. Is there still one or two available? If uh, if there's any listeners, people out there wanting to get involved, I know we're sort of into eight, end of April, beginning of May, but still a lot of fun ahead with this syndicate. This, there's a lot of stable visits and hopefully a lot of social events when things start to change over the course of months and the summer. Yeah, no, there's a huge amount to look forward to with this syndicate, you know, so, you know, for people. And there's a few shares left left to, to, to sell. I think Charlie and I are sufficiently happy with the horses that we'll, we'll absorb the horse absorb those shares ourselves we both agree we both agree now charlie's also looking slightly more promising than mine i might have to put get this on record but we we both agreed that we'll, we'll effectively that we'll split any sale of the two horses between ourselves equally and their prize money as well as thank charlie isn't it you might have to be writing me a check at the end of the year <laughs> well that's us for a hugely entertaining episode two series two Jack Whitehall, what a fabulous guest for us there. Um, we hope you've enjoyed listening. We'll be back in the not-too-distant future, all being well. Thanks to Carl Homer from Cambridge TV for producing us. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Bridal Podcast. And also please subscribe so that you won't miss an episode. Look forward to you joining us soon. Stay healthy and well, folks. Goodbye. Goodbye.